0: All right, let's turn to Obadiah chapter, chapter Obadiah, because it's only one chapter. (laughs) Obadiah chapter one. Verses 10 through 14 is our text tonight. And uh, next Wednesday night, we will conclude our study in Obadiah, and uh, then we will go on to the book of Jonah. So, but we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14 today. Now, just in a quick, quick summary of what's already taken place, just a kind of a review actually of what's taken place. This particular prophecy was given to a man named Obadiah, and it was dealing with, and has been dealing with, the downfall of Edom due to pride. Edom, of course, is the nation that came forth out of Esau, the brother of Jacob. So the first four verses that we studied dealt with the downfall of Edom. It's about the judgment again of Edom. Verses five and six dealt with the completeness of the destruction and the plunder that was to come upon them. The betrayal by Edom's allies is is told to us in verse seven and the destruction of Edom's leaders in verses eight and nine. So, we, we see then, here in this one short book, a message of judgment, a warning of judgment, not so much to the children of Israel or to Judah, but in fact, directed completely at this nation, uh, and, and its main sin was pride, and we talked about pride from the beginning, and uh, have been building upon that particular theme so far. Now, when we get to verse 10 now, as we will today, and let's read verses 10 through 14, that's our text for tonight. It says, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. We're dealing now with the reasons We're dealing now with the reasons for their downfall. By violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. They were as those who were actually coming into Jerusalem to plunder it, to destroy it, and then, of course, to take its riches. Verse 12 says, But thou shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldst not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldst not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldst thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldst thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of of distress the reasons for Edom's downfall was a progressive hatred and acting out their hatred on who God calls their brothers we said that pride is a terrible sin And it's a terrible sin in the eyes of God. So, I I have a few questions to ask you in review, just to kind of get caught up with where we've been. One question deals with a scripture, and I'm going to read in just a moment, but it deals with a scripture I read last week. The question is why did the Lord use such strong language in the statement about Edom? that was made in Malachi chapter 1. We're going to go there in just a moment. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Why Why did the Lord use such strong language? What was the Lord going to do to Edom based on what we've studied so far in Obadiah? And what were the three things that Edom held about their nation that the Lord found to be false and an abomination to him? Well, let me, let me help by, re, by reminder of certain scriptures here. Consider in Malachi chapter one, verses one through four, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now remember that this is now a prophecy toward Israel, but notice what God says about Esau and about Edom. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Speaking to Israel. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, where hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. There you hear the pride. Oh, we're in Proverbs, but we're going to return and we're going to build. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever. Now I want you to compare that to something that is written in the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 8 through 10. Where it says the Lord sent a word into Jacob and it has lighted upon Israel and all the people shall know even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria that say in the, proud, in the pride and stoutness of heart the bricks are fallen down but we will build with hewn stone or stones. The sycamores are cut down but we will change them into cedars. Again you hear that tone of pride in that particular statement which was actually given to Jacob or Israel. And you know, it's very interesting that these words in verse, uh, in verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 9 were actually spoken in the halls of Congress of the United States the day after September 11, 2001. 2001. Someone got up and said, Oh, listen, you know, we, we, got, we got hit pretty hard, but as it says in the Bible, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. And I thought, Don't say that. Because you are just saying exactly what God is saying is pride. You're putting pride in, in, in rebuilding. And that's what was being said in, in, in the passage in Malachi about Edom. They were made desolate, but they, they said, ah, we're going to rebuild and we're going to throw down. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we have to be so careful because pride is a sin that God hates. Pride is a sin that God abhors. And as we've already seen, pride is not just a terrible thing, but as I just said, the Lord hates it. He hated, he hated it in Esau, He hated it in the nation that would develop from Esau. And He hates it just as much today. And I have to say, He hated it on 9 11 the pride or 912 the pride that says oh yeah we're going to we're going to build now this example may be too extreme but i commented earlier on the attitude that we may have with pride but here's the example if we were to say that you know that that deacon you know, is a a good man but he's an abusive husband and an abusive father. I think everyone would have a problem with that. They'd have a problem with that deacon, you know. Yeah, he's a good man, but he's, he's an abusive person. But if I were to say that deacon is a good man, but he's full of pride. Some of us might not, we might not wink at that too much. Well, certainly we could help him fix that. Yeah, we'll pull him aside, we'll talk to him, it should be okay. The idea here is that this shows how different our views of sin can be from God's views of sin. How God sees sin and how we see sin. So different. In our little book of Obadiah, the Lord wants us to see that he is completely Sovereign. He wants us to see that that he's completely sovereign, that that he's wonderfully holy that, that, that he's full of love for mankind and these are what we refer to as some of God's immutable traits that is he will never change in those things, he will always be sovereign, he will always be holy and he will always be full of love for his creation, especially man but one of the reasons the Lord gave us this book to study is so that we would come to grips with the pride of our own lives and remove it where we see it. And I hope that we have honestly allowed the Lord to search us and to show us our own pride. Because it's easy for any of us to fall into that attitude. even just a little, but it only takes a little for it to expand. In Edom there existed an attitude of superiority that that led to their eventual destruction, but it didn't have to be that way. The pride that swept their little nation caused great hatred for Israel. A nation that although they wouldn't have admitted it, they were were envious of. Esau had been envious of Jacob. Which led to Edom's envy of Israel. All of his people. You know, it brings us back to that very same question. You know, we've asked so many times, what is pride? What is it? Well, it is above all an attitude, but it never stops with an attitude. Pride never stops with an attitude. It never stops in the mind or in the heart of a person or a people. Let's look at the progression that's found in James chapter one, for for example. In James chapter one, verses 13 through 15, It said, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Drawn away of his own lust. Of his own desires. And enticed. Drawn to it. And then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, the attitude of pride is no different. Once it exists, then you will either deal with it or it will flesh itself out in your life. You either deal with it immediately or it will flesh itself out. That's the law of the harvest that you find in Galatians chapter six. The law of the harvest that says, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked." Verse seven: For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Whatever a man soweth, that is what he's going to reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Paul is saying that, look, if you, if you reap, if you sow to the flesh, if you keep feeding the flesh all of these things and all of these enticements and all of these desires and all of these temptations, then you are going to reap corruption. Because in the flesh, the Bible says, there's no good thing. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap, everla- uh, reap life Everlasting. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So there it is. Whatever you sow, you will reap. That's how it worked in Edom. They sowed to their pride. Their pride led to destruction. And we read those scriptures dealing with pride in the book of Proverbs. Let's look at our text now. And I I want you to notice how the pride of Edom was fleshed out. And then we'll notice four things that the Edomites did to Israel as a result, and and for which God was especially harsh on them. Obadiah 1 verse 10 says, For for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Now first of all, they were violent against their brother Jacob, which in fact they were violent against Israel. And that violence was their expression of their pride. But how was their violence expressed? Well, the simple answer is that they stood, or they stood by, I should say, they stood by when Judah was raided. In other words, the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is, where the temple was. It says in the day, verse 11, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, In the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem even thou wast as one of them. You might have as well just gone in there with those that went in to plunder Jerusalem. Now we need to understand that there were a couple of invasions on the city of Jerusalem that these verses may may be referring to. One one may have been the the invasion of the Philistines and the Arabs during the reign of Jehoram about 850 B.C., which you can read about in 2 Chronicles 21, beginning at verse 16. But, But it may also be referring to the overthrow of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. In both cases, the Edomites were there. They were on the other side. They were in a place where they could observe what was happening. And they did nothing to help their brother or their brothers. Now, both views, whether it be during the time of Jehoram or or in 587 B.C., both views are quite interesting to study and consider. It is more than likely referring to the Babylonian captivity. But I want you to consider this. It was a dark hour for the Jewish people. It was a dark hour. I mean, about a hundred years earlier, the Assyrians had carried the northern tribes into captivity and ravished Judah right down to the wall of Jerusalem. But now Jerusalem and the temple lay in ruins. It was in ruins, of course, as I said, by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. The northern tribes had never truly represented God's truth. God's judgment was coming upon them because they had completely and totally left God worshiped idols, worshiped the golden calves. They had worshiped that golden calf and all their kings had been evil, every one of them. There was not one good king in the northern kingdom. So the northern kingdom had to come to an end while the preaching of Isaiah and the prayers of godly king Hezekiah had saved Jerusalem and, and the temple from the Assyrians. But now it looked as though the light of the knowledge of the glory of God had gone out forever. We know it hadn't. but there was still going to be a Jeremiah there was still going to be an Ezekiel and a Daniel that would come and warn the people of the judgment coming if they didn't get their hearts right with God that is the southern kingdom so here while Nebuchadnezzar brought his armies against the city Judah stood alone where was brother Edom then did they rally around to help fight a common enemy the babylonians were a common enemy to judah and to edom of course not they didn't they didn't rally around to help israel they hated israel they hated judah they hated jacob the descendants of jacob They acted just like the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan. For when they saw their brother in need, they refused to lend a hand. Went around. Wouldn't touch. Now you might be thinking, well, these nations were enemies. But that was never God's plan. That was never God's desire. It was never God's desire for Edom and Israel to be enemies. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and look at verse 7. Deuteronomy 23, verse 7. Listen carefully to what God is saying to the Jewish people, to the Israelites. To the children of the covenant. To the chosen people. Listen to what he said. Thou shall not abhor or hate an Edomite. God is telling his people don't hate them. For he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou was a stranger in his land. Now understand that this really should have worked both ways. They were, and they knew this out of their own histories, from their own histories. They knew they were brothers; they were relatives. You know, I, I looked at that verse, and I, and 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 the one thought that came to mind when when I read Deuteronomy twenty three verse seven were the were the words of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter five, and this isn't coming up here because it's it's just it was something that I, I felt I needed to read to you. I, I mean, I'm not foul, but I, just, I, I really needed to read it to you because I needed to read it myself. What Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. By the way, that's Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You read that and you hear that, and you see that in, in everything that God is saying to the Israelites. Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, he's your brother. So it worked both ways. God's desire for the Israelites to treat Edom with brotherly kindness was just as much his desire for Edom to treat Israel in the same manner. Instead of attempting to to befriend and to help the people of Israel to whom they were related by blood, they went over to the other side of the brutal enemy which had invaded the land and did nothing to help. In fact, they did more than just stand by. You see, this is where the progression begins. They stand by while this enemy comes and attacks Judah. But that wasn't all. Listen to the words in Psalm 137, verse 7. I know that I, I believe we shared this earlier, but let me share it again. Psalm 137, verse 7 says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom, in the day of Jerusalem, who said now this is what they're saying whether they were saying it on the sidelines like people watching some kind of a sporting event and they were yelling raise it raise it even to the foundation thereof now you do understand that the word raise now it's spelled here in the king james r a s e in the uh, modern english it's spelled r a z e Raise does not mean to raise like R-A-I-S-E, which means to raise or build up. R-A-Z-E means to tear down. It means to destroy. It means to level it. And they were yelling from the sidelines, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. Level that city to its very what they said with double emphasis notice destroy it destroy it lay it bare lay it bare let's add another verse to this scenario Psalm 38 verse 11 where it says my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore and my kinsmen My kinsmen, my relatives, stand afar off. Certain friends are standing aloof, standing away, not interested in helping. But the kinsmen, the ones who should be there, are further away standing afar off now while this psalm in particular in particular this particular verse can be seen as messianic in that it describes Messiah as the antitype to Jerusalem being that he would be abandoned by his own kinsmen it also encourages us to ask ourselves the question do we stand aloof when a brother stumbles? Do we stand aloof when a brother stumbles? That that is what the people of Edom did. When enemies threatened Jerusalem, the people of Edom said, this is no business of ours. We're not their keepers. Whatever happens, happens. Have we heard that little statement before? We're not their keepers? Like saying we're not our brother's keepers? To keep means to watch. To keep means to protect. We're not the ones to watch and to protect them. If they fall, it serves them right. We're going to mind our own business. But that was a lie because they didn't mind their own business. They drew ever closer to gather spoils for themselves. How often do a brother or sister in Christ stumble and the rest of us just stand off and watch? I mean, we choose not to get involved or, or, or come to their aid. We have to ask the question, are we, are we thinking that we're superior to them? Are we afraid of something? Are there certain attitudes that need to be thought through and, and repented of? I mean, go back, if you will, to Galatians chapter 6. These are words that all of us are in need of of, of reading time and again. In a way, it's a beautiful passage. In a way, it's a challenging passage. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself. lest thou thou also be tempted. Consider yourself. In other words, that could be me. That could be me at my worst. In my worst condition. In my most fallen condition, that could be me. And if I consider myself to be spiritual in the sense that I trust in the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I trust in the word of God to be that which is my light and that which is my encouragement to lead me in the path that he wants me to be on, then the only path that God has called us all to be on is the path of Christ, which is the path of service to others, especially those who are downtrodden. And to come to them, not in a spirit of, of condescension, to look down upon them as, as if better than anyone, or better than those who are fallen, or better than those who are hurting. But in the spirit of meekness, Paul said, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then he said, bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens. Fulfilling the law of Christ, the law, the, you know, the royal law of love. Where we are to minister to one another more than ourselves. Considering others better than ourselves. realizing that there are those that are hurting that are still wondering why they're there and then we think well we've all been there we've all stumbled we've all come to the reality of of letting the flesh take over even if it's for a brief moment but it does its damage And what we need is someone to tell us face to face, not eyes on you know, the top of a person's head who's downtrodden and judge them. Paul goes on to say in verse 3, For if a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I've always considered that verse to be a very powerful, powerful, even ominous statement. If a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. This is when we need to come and consider how do we see ourselves? We all ought to be thankful for what Christ has done for us. I mean, there's no question that we, we are. We, it humbles us. Humbles us to consider what Jesus Christ has done for us. But it should continue to humble us. We think of the Pharisee and the tax collector on the steps, the southern steps going into the going into the temple area. And one is raising prayers loudly, drawing attention to himself, in effect, talking about how wonderfully blessed he is, while the other, the tax collector, is on his face and he's beating his breast. Have mercy on me, the sinner. Have mercy on me, Lord. Jesus asked the question, who, who went away blessed? Who went away fulfilled? Who went away with his prayer answer? We all know who that was. It was the tax collector who had humbled himself. Because if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. And we have to approach those that are hurting with humility. Notice verse 4, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Yet we know from what Jesus tells us that we won't bear that burden alone. So the question for us tonight is are we we ready to go the extra mile for the person who is in great need? From the moment that the Lord asked Cain, where is Abel thy brother? God has held us accountable. God has held us accountable from that point on. Where we can help, we must help. Where we can encourage, we must encourage. Where we can defend, we must defend. And what Edom did was look down on Judah when they fell. They looked down on them. In a in in a word, they said, Well you deserve that. If you're down on the ground you deserved it. It made Edom judges. But their judgment was unholy. It was unrighteous judgment look at verse 12 now of obadiah obadiah 1 but thou shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger neither should thou have rejoiced over the children of judah in the day of their destruction neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress Speaking of looking down on them, that that phrase, looked on, carries the idea of showing a peculiar curiosity. It suggests that while the Edomites stood by during the defeat of Judah, they could have been at home in their own nation, but they chose instead to come out and watch. They progressed from standing by to an improper curiosity about their brother's tragedy. And sadly... Some professing Christians are like the Edomites. Instead of helping a brother when he falls, they delight in digging out the details and spreading the news. At times, even feeling smug, they do not hesitate to add an extra kick or two to a man who is down. In fact, Obadiah is warning against such wicked behavior. He's warning against it. And Edom becomes the example of that. And then secondly, they rejoiced in Judah's defeat. They rejoiced in Judah's defeat. Verse 12 again. But thou shalt not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a a stranger, neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. And neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So as they watched Israel fall to the Babylonians, the Edomites rejoiced over the calamity that had come to Judah. For centuries God had given Israel the upper hand, so to speak. Jacob prevailed and prospered while Esau took a back seat. When Israel marched up to the promised land and was denied passage, Time and time again, the Lord made sure they got where he wanted them. When previous enemies came against them, they gained the victory. Now here they were, God's chosen people, falling to an enemy they could not handle. And Edom thought it a great thing. This is why it's painful today in a prophetic perspective, the way that much of the church looks at Israel today. As if they're deserving of of any attacks from the enemy, whether it be the Palestinians or Hamas or Hezbollah or whoever. Some of the church today is is joining with, you know, uh, Palestinians and, and abhorring and, and Israel. People who say that they are believers in Jesus Christ. And it's not, you know, it's gonna happen again. I mean, we read the book of Revelation, we see what, you know, what Israel is gonna to have to go through the book of Daniel, Revelation, you know, when, when we realize that they're going to have to be judged for seven more years to conclude the 490 years of judgment that that began in that day and time and i think that that's where sometimes we need to be very careful in this own, in our own country today And I keep watch, as we should, on what's happening in our, in our world, especially uh, in our own country, especially the political climate that's going on. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad. You know, we're not here to endorse candidates, uh, candidates or, or parties or whatever, but we are here to discern, to spiritually discern where everyone stands. And when people stand for life and they stand for liberty and freedom, the freedom of, of what we're doing here today, reading and studying the Word of God, the freedom to pronounce the gospel. There are many nations today where they arrest you and throw you into prison for preaching the gospel and there are people today in a certain party that would really like to do that to people who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ who come against certain things in lifestyles because the Bible teaches that it's an abomination or that certain things are an abomination and we're called to preach the word of God truthfully and they want to stifle this like other nations. We need to pray. We don't stop praying for this country. Right now we need to pray for it more than ever before. There's a circus going on in, in, in Washington today for the last couple of weeks, actually for three years and even beyond that. We need to wake up. The sad thing is that much of what's fueling that hatred today in our own country is pride. Do we rejoice when a brother falls? That is always an action and attitude of pride. When you hear someone rejoicing over the trouble of another person, you may be sure that you're listening to someone who is very proud. Remember this, pride is something that God says he hates. It has to be repulsive to God. If we saw ourselves the way God sees us, there wouldn't be any room for boasting or rejoicing when others fall. Think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos, for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, not, uh, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. I'm going to go back and, and read. I, I, there was a uh, press of a wrong button somewhere. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read it the way you're seeing it behind me. It says, for God who, let's see, 1 Corinthians, oh, wrong one. There it is, okay. So it says, and these things, brethren, I have in a, in a figure, which is figuratively, transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for, en- for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from one another? Who maketh thee, it's a question, for who maketh thee to differ from one another or from another and what hast thou uh, that thou didst not receive now if thou didst receive it why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it so the point is what do you have that you don't receive or that you didn't receive everything we have is what we've received from God if you go down to uh, chapter 15 verse 10 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 And there it says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By God's grace, we are who we are. And his grace, which was bestowed upon us, wasn't in vain. What is is grace? Undeserved favor. Do any of us deserve it? Of course not. Did any of us do anything to deserve it? Not at all. We were just sinners. And that's all we've ever been. Thirdly, the the Edomites took advantage of Judah after they were weakened. Verse 13, it says, Thou shalt not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shalt not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Verse 13 reveals that after Edom was satisfied with Israel's defeat and Babylon was no threat, they moved in to plunder what remained. Now, Edom's violence against their brother only grew worse. Not only did they join with the enemy against Israel, but they they actually moved in to loot and to plunder after the enemy had taken Israel away into captivity. And how tragic that was! They didn't fight Israel for the goods. They didn't help Babylon for a part of the spoils. They only stood back like hungry vultures coming in after the kill. And you know, it is so sad when brothers take advantage of brothers that fall. Remember this. Who would ultimately take advantage of us if at all possible? Who? Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things to whom you forgive anything I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes forgave it I forgave I it in the person of Christ notice verse 11 lest Satan should get advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. If the context is in the issue of forgiveness, time and again, we have to remember what Jesus said about forgiveness. That we are to forgive as he forgave us. And then consider what he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 17 and 18. Paul said, Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? In other words, did I take advantage of you in any way, shape, or form when I sent these certain people to you? I desired Ty, uh, Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Was, was Titus taking advantage of you? I can tell you this. This is, this is very contemporary when it comes to the fact that there are people on TV today that are, pre- that are you know, uh, apparently preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then the next moment, in the same breath, they're taking advantage of you and they're taking advantage of of, of people on welfare they're taking advantage of people who are writing off their whole checks to send to these people because they're putting them under some kind of a guilt trip and that's happening today and it keeps on happening just so that the rich will get richer and that is preachers Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? How can we take advantage of people if we are to be the same before the Lord Jesus Christ? There's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. There's neither barbarian, Scythian, Jew, Greek, bond or free, rich or poor Christ is all in and all what well, we looked at this weekend the fourth thing that Edom did to Israel is the worst of all look at verse 14 neither should thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape neither shouldst thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress you can picture what happened that as Edom moved in to plunder the city they encountered stragglers, men and women lone women with children whole families fleeing the city to escape the destruction and certain death or captivity possibly to make it to the south beyond the Dead Sea but on their way they encountered those Edomites who had no sympathy for their plight and without carrying one bit they gave them up to their enemies they gave them up They gave them up. We have to consider that at times people are given up to the enemy of their souls when they are not ministered to in the love of Christ. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Well, we have such a friend in Jesus Christ. We have such a friend in Jesus. When we fell into sin and death, he didn't just stand by. He didn't look on with contempt or indifference. When we were helpless, he didn't rejoice or boast in his own perfection, though, though he was perfect. He didn't move in and exploit us, and he certainly didn't turn us over to the enemy. He got involved on our behalf. His love for us drove him to the cross. I remember that a child of Edom, Herod, an Edomian, an Edomite, condemned a child of Jacob to die. But that child grew and went to the cross and took upon himself all the sin of the world, even the sin of pride. And he wants that sin to be crucified in your life and in mine. And this is why I want to end today with Galatians 2, verse 20. Where Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The sin of Edom, the sin of pride that was at the very center of their heart toward Israel, toward God's people, toward their brothers, was an abomination to the Lord. It was an abhorrence to the Lord against them. And so the judgment was not light. And it always should be a reminder that we are who we are because of what Christ has done for us. There are no ladders of success in the Christian life. The Lord's going to take us home. We're not climbing there. If we want to go up, we need to first go down. If we want to lift our heads and keep looking up for our redemption draws near, we first must put our faces to the ground and cry out to God. If We want to fully understand what's going on before Jesus comes again. Then we need to accept the truth of what Christ has already done, which is he took our sin. He nailed it to the tree. He died on our behalf. He shed his blood to wash our sins clean. He was buried with the understanding of all those sins being buried in our lives. And on the third day he rose again. Glorified so that we will rise with him. Sanctified justified and glorified as believers in Jesus Christ. It is a humble life, but it's one of blessing and it's one of joy if pride has been mortified, if pride has been buried.